0: Welcome back to another episode of Time Out for the Sports Doctor, where Life, Sports, and Medicine Intersect. I'm your host, Dr. Derek Burgess.
1: So for me, you know, cry at night or pick yourself up in the morning. Nothing carries over in life the next day. You figure out a way to solve the problem, to fix the issue so you can move forward and progress in the future. All
0: right. Tonight we have Dr. Brent Stevens with us. Welcome to the show, Brent.
1: Uh it's good to be on. It's good to be on. Excited, excited to kind of kind of talk about what's going on.
0: Absolutely. So there's a lot going on, especially living in the state of Florida. So where exactly do you stay?
1: So I'm in Cocoa Beach, which is uh, about 45 minutes east of Orlando. So people know it as where SpaceX is, where the actually Space Force is there. Um, so where all the rockets take off, that's kind of where I live.
0: Oh, gotcha. All right. So a formal introduction. Dr. Stevens is an orthopedic surgeon. He is a short, shoulder and elbow specialist. Uh, did his medical school and surgical orthopedic surgical training at Howard University. Um, and that's where we met actually as a resident. Brent was two years behind me, I believe, in residency.
1: Uh, three. <laughs> three years. All right. Yeah.
0: But we shared yeah. several rotations, man. I know we were together at least at least two or three times during our training. Oh,
1: at least. Minimum. Yeah. Yeah. You get me out of trouble a lot, man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, man. So... Uh, still, I think you're, are you still considering yourself a newlywed? Uh,
1: I guess I don't know how long it last, but, yeah. uh, we've been about nine months in. Uh, so we had a COVID, a COVID, uh, wedding. So it's still, you know, we're still getting used to everything because we never really had a big wedding. And so we're still kind of adjusting to, to
0: Understood. Understood. All right. So first, just tell me about kind of your life growing up in Atlanta and, you know, what led you to orthopedics?
1: you know i was i grew up in atlanta georgia um actually more specifically decatur and so i went to um kind of grade school and high school uh, at a catholic school uh growing up um i was fortunate uh, my dad is a was a judge uh uh and a law school professor so i grew up in a very strict household you can imagine and my mom is kind of a free spirit she's um she's a a fashion designer so kind of the best of both worlds um And, you know, I played baseball growing up. So that was kind of my passion and my love was was baseball. So uh, growing up, my life really centered around sports and, you know, scholastic stuff. Sports was was, was everything. My brother played baseball. I played baseball. My dad played baseball in college. So for me growing up, I really wanted to be a professional baseball player. And that was kind of my goal and my dream. Um, But, uh, you know, I played baseball in Kentucky. for for two years and um, Georgia Southern for three years. And just a long story short, what kind of drove me to orthopedics was in college, um, I thought I was getting drafted top 10 rounds in baseball. I was, you know, thought I was all world. Scouts were talking to me. And so my third, my junior year of college, um, crazy. I was, you know, going to be in the starting lineup, big time. This is my year to get drafted, make big money. And a week before the season started, just random fly ball practice. We were playing around, ran for it, twisted my knee. And just like that, uh, you know, they thought I tore my ACL. And so my whole life was built towards one goal. And it just came crashing down just like that. Just one, just playing around in the outfield. That's crazy. And um, so that kind of began my, my, my journey in orthopedics. So I shadowed Doctor, um, uh, a team doctor who did my surgery, kind of hung out with him walked around with him and said this is really cool you know I like what, what is this field and he's like orthopedics you take care of athletes you take care of elderly young people it's just a great field where you are using your hands and that kind of began my journey that's that that's that's where I started so when I when I rehabbed had surgery I did rehab it really hit me that all this stuff can be taken away from you at the blink of an eye but it can be gone just like that and so I really focused on becoming a doctor honestly more than doing doing baseball I, I came back and played but it really wasn't my passion anymore. I wanted to really go to med school. So that's kind of how I got into become orthopedics and became a physician. Got
0: gotcha. you. So you were at the University of Kentucky when you tore your ACL?
1: I was at Georgia Southern. So okay. I played my first two years at Kentucky, then transferred my junior year. That's a whole other story right there. <laughs> and any athlete, by the way, that wants to talk about uh, big school politics, man, we can talk all day about how it really works at these, the SEC schools. Um, at these top, at these top level programs, it's, it's, there's money involved, there's boosters involved. So it's a different ball game when you play in places like that.
0: So what position did you play?
1: Uh, right field.
0: Right, right field. field. Yeah. Um, but you, like you said, you were good enough to have dra- scouts looking at you and thinking you were going to be drafted, right?
1: Yeah. So I, uh, I, uh, was supposed to go top. They, they were projecting top 15 rounds, top 10 rounds, possibly, um, my junior year. Um, and so I was coming off a really good sophomore year and I was actually coming off a really good summer ball summer. So they were, they were thinking that I'd, I'd go higher, uh, go pretty high. So, you know, and my brother got drafted. Pretty much I'm the only person in my group of friends that didn't play professional baseball at some point.
0: Wow, uh, so, and you growing yeah. up in inner city Atlanta, that's pretty uncommon. Or what would you say?
1: Uh, well, not it depends. Right. So I played baseball at what's called East Cobb. Okay. And East Cobb is kind of like the top baseball program in the country, right? So,
0: this for is example, Is this high school team, or is this like the um, summer ball? Kind of travel. So, oh, summer, gotcha. Show,
1: summer ball. Think about, like, you know, in basketball, think of it like AAU. And so the kids that I play with were kind of a hand-picked team from around the state. So it was it was a really jaded team. Like everybody on my team got a college scholarship.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I get you. Kind of like that perfect game.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's exactly what it is. It's like perfect
0: game. Got you. So on your way to the um, major leagues derailed. Now you're thinking med school. So, but you had to already have been a good student to be able to pivot at that point.
1: It's exactly. So I was always, you know, like I said, my dad was very strict. So school was always important to me. I always made really good grades. Um, and th- that's something that I think, you know, when I talk to, to some of us, to my mentees, especially the high school mentees, you can't be one-sided, right? Because like I said, it can be taken away from you. So luckily I had good grades. I was pre-med um, so I was taking science classes, but you know I really didn't think I was going to try to go to med school. But I was pre-med because you know it sounded good. Um, but I did I did have good grades, and so I was able to pivot from trying to become an athlete to going straight to med school, or I could have gone to business. And so that that was a key thing for me to to not really fall from you know one thing to another. I didn't have to fall and hit the ground. I was like, okay, well I can do this, and I can be just as successful in a different area because I had more than one thing going for me, which is, which is important for, for kids to realize.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about the ACL rehab because I do a lot of ACL surgeries um, as a sports medicine doctor, and it's a long grueling road back. And, you know, a lot of times I'm dealing with 15, 13, 14 year old teenagers and you got to sit them down <laughs> and say, Hey, give me a year of your life, you know, to rehab mm-hmm. this knee. Um, and they want to, you know, first day we're sitting in the in the office and we're talking about this devastating injury and then the second question is, when can I get back? And it's not that simple, right? right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really funny because I asked the same questions, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting, I'm sitting at the exam room table, you know, um, that's <laughs> really funny. And I'm asking uh, so so Dr. Andrews, who's got the he did my surgery, right? So I'm thinking, Oh, I got the best, you know, whatever. Hey, can I get back in like a month or two? He's looking at me like, you know, like laughing almost. Yeah. And so when I have surgery, I'm rehabbing hard, thinking I'll get back. But you don't realize that it's, there's, there's no way to rush rehab. Biology. Yeah, it just, You can't rush it. It takes yeah. that long to heal. And if you rush it, all you're going to do is hurt yourself. Because yeah. if, even if you get back to the field, your quads are weak, your hamstrings are weak. So if you rush it, you're going to tear something else. And then that's kind of you know, what happens to a lot of athletes. They rush it, and then their knee may be stable, but now their muscles are weak. So that full year is critical to get back to full play.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, there's a a big piece of it is your mind, right? So once you're back out there to be able to trust your knee so you can pivot and take off, run and slide, whatever else. How long did it take you to be able to really play ball without thinking about your knee?
1: Honestly, probably about six months after I started playing, because in the back of your mind, every cut, you know what it felt like when you heard it. So every little cut you're thinking about it well, what if I, and so you're not really playing as hard or that extra little you know that extra little five percent you give you may not give it all the way because you're worried about it right so it takes a while um which is funny it, to you say that because a lot of um what i'm realizing and it's a big field is that sports psychology field yeah is that being able to psych yourself and understand your body and understand how your mind is important controlling your body Uh, is even getting bigger for for, for athletes and even younger athletes now learning how important it is the mental aspect of becoming an athlete
0: yeah successful athlete that is right right so you're a shoulder surgeon so tell me exactly you know for the listeners that it might not be well versed in orthopedics what is a shoulder and elbow surgeon
1: and that means that i do a lot of rotator cuff repairs um, shoulder replacement really anything that uh from 16 to 90 that can happen to the shoulder. So if you break your shoulder, I'm doing that surgery. If you have a rotator cuff tear, labral tear, a dislocated shoulder, um, if you have arthritis and we do shoulder replacements. So really anything pertaining to the shoulders is is what I do, which is nice because I don't do any other, any other part of the body.
0: Right. So you have a very specialized practice, um, and you train with a very uh, big name surgeon, Dr. Frankel, right?
1: Right. So, yeah, so I was fortunate, really, really fortunate. Um, to get a top-notch fellowship and uh, train with kind of the person that pioneered uh, shoulder replacements in America. He was the first one to do it in the United States. And so I kind of trained with him, which is which is phenomenal training. Um, you know, we did more shoulder replacements as a fellow than most surgeons have in the world do. And we have to do them by ourselves or mostly by ourselves. So great training, great experience. Um, you know, I wouldn't trade it for the world. So that kind of, kind of allowed me to grow my practice and understand what it's like to be at the top to see somebody at the best it kind of it kind of gives you the motivation and allows you to have the knowledge to see what they do to kind of mimic that
0: especially also from a business standpoint i know you know he developed his own shoulder replacement so that entrepreneurial spirit that you know ability to create on your own is huge in the business part of medicine that we talk about Uh, yeah yeah
1: Absolutely. And it's funny because no, nobody's taught the business side of medicine in medical school, but that's everything, right? Because without having, without understanding the business side of medicine, you can run yourself into the ground because you can only do so many cases in a day. You can only do so many surgeries in a day and you can only work so late without neglecting your family. So understanding the business side of things, how to be efficient, how to utilize those around you to, the, to their maximum capacity is very vital to having a successful practice but also not running yourself into the ground and leaving time for your family.
0: Absolutely. Now, you've done a really good job of promoting yourself from a marketing standpoint, and you built a pretty robust shoulder practice. How many years now? Five or six?
1: Yes, yeah, in five years now.
0: So and before uh, um, recently, and we're going to touch on this. So how many procedures were you doing a week on average?
1: On average, I do about... Uh, let's see, on a busy week, I'll do around 18 to 20. On an average week, about 14. So normally I'll do, uh, I'll operate two to two and a half days, depending on the week. So on Tuesdays, I have, so it's called flip room. So I have two rooms, so it's more efficient. So every time I operate, I always have two rooms. So on Tuesday, I'll do big cases. So I may do uh, four shoulder replacements and two arthroscopic rotator couple pairs or something like that. On Wednesdays, I'll do a half day of surgery. So I'll do maybe three rotator cuff repairs. And then on Friday, I do the rotator cuffs. So I do about eight. I try to do eight rotator cuffs every Friday. So depending on the week, I'll, you know, I'll do 15, 17. If I'm on call that weekend, I'll probably do four more that weekend. So I try to keep between 15, roughly 15, and then 20 if I'm on call.
0: And that's a busy surgical practice. So um, just to put everything in perspective, how many procedures have you done over the last month?
1: Uh, well, COVID, zero. <laughs> right. So exactly. So
0: you went from doing about <laughs> yeah. 75 to 80 procedures per month to doing zero cases. So speak a little bit to that. Now, if I'd have told you five yeah. years ago, <laughs> hold on, if I'd have told you five years ago that you picked an orthopedic surgical specialty and there's going to be a medical emergency, a medical pandemic in the United States, and you will not work for six weeks, what would your response be <laughs>
1: I would laugh. You can't even I could even man, I, I couldn't even could even imagine that six weeks without. I mean, anybody imagine six weeks without doing what you train your whole life for. That's that's uh, it's mind blown. And then yeah. not having any insight.
0: <laughs> right. Exactly. So you still don't know. So you live in the state of Florida, where it's pretty much the epicenter of the covid-19 pandemic at this point. Um, mm-hmm. Talk. Just kind of talk to us about why your practice is shut down and why you're not operating.
1: Right. So, so what happens is, um, even though I don't, I, I, first of all, I work, there's different employment models, but I work for the hospital. So I'm employed by the hospital and, um, at the hospital where I do my surgeries, even though it's the hospital, we use it like a surgery sensor. So for example, if you have a rotator cuff repair and let's say you're 35 years old, you're healthy, healthy person, I'll do the surgery and you'll go home the same day. So it's same day surgery, but it is at the hospital. Or if I do a shoulder replacement, you may stay in the hospital for 23 hours, but you go home at nine o'clock the next morning. But what's happening is the hospitals are full of COVID patients. So what that means is not that the operating rooms can't run, it's that there's no staff. There's no staff to run the rooms because everybody's pulled off because right now we're short 20 nurses, 30 nurses. So all the nurses that work in the operating room now have to work on the COVID floor. Um, All the anesthesiologists have to help intubate patients um and so what happens and then not to mention there's no room in the hospital for patients so if something goes wrong you have to have a way for a patient to stay overnight and right now we don't have that for five almost six weeks now we have not had that had that ability and we still don't know we're going to have that ability because the numbers haven't haven't really declined yet um so you can imagine that's i mean i we had to cancel patients so right now my list of patients that I have to do is at about nine. I think I'm at 80 something patients that are on my list. My partner who's a joint partner who does even more than I do, uh, his list is at 140 patients that are backlogged that cannot have surgery. And every week he's adding 20 more to the list of people that need surgery. So if this goes on longer, like I talked to him today, if this goes through October, which is what they predicted, maybe though, he may have 200 patients that need surgery that he cannot do until October. And you can imagine that's your mom, that's your dad, that's your uncle, that's your aunt that can't walk because of arthritis for two months and they have to sit and wait.
0: Yeah. And And that's, that's,
1: people forget about that.
0: Right. So we do things that change people's function, right? But imagine people that have, that have heart procedures or have cancer and -hmm. need procedures done. They're all waiting as well. So this is the part that I think most people outside of the hospital setting don't really grasp. Um, is that it right. is really dismantling the, the really healthcare system at this time.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's just handcuffed everybody. And again, we are, are volunteering our time. It's not about people think, oh, it's just about, it's not about money. People with breast cancer that need a mastectomy, they can't get that right now because there's nowhere in the hospital, exactly. right? So there's, there's a backlog of women to breast cancer. They can't have that. So those are the things that people need to understand that when we have this upsurge in cases, it's not just, it's not just the COVID patients that are affected. It's a whole system that's, that's crushed.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about your program that you established as, I believe as a resident, the Young Doctors DC, your mentoring program. Talk to me about that.
1: Yeah. So that's my heart right there. So, so it was during my third year of residency, um, you know, I went to, school at Howard for, for, for med school and for residency. And, um, I'm not from the DC area. So, you know, we sometimes when I, when I was a med school, we'd go out to Southeast DC and, you know, we, we'd see people in the house as part of our rotations, And it was exposed to me to something that I never, I've never seen before, um, a different side of things. And some of the, 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 um, just unfortunate circumstances of kids not exposed to much at all. And so a third, my third year residency, um, funny enough, one of my patients who was who's, uh, passionate about kids and, and giving back kind of reached out and was like, hey, I'm starting a program. And this was during a visit. He has, you know, heard his hand and we talked during the visit. And um, we talked about this program he's trying to start. And I was like, look, I'd be, I love to be a part of it. So we got a grant, long story short, we got a grant um, to start this program. Uh, we got $10,000 in funding. And from there, we have a program where we help uh, or we we have four kids from DC every year coming to our program. And what we do is we put them on Howard's campus uh, um, during the summertime and we teach them med style uh, classes. So we take them to the labs, the anatomy labs, and things like that during the summertime. And then during the school year, we have them come back every Saturday, and we would call it Saturday Academy, where they come back and we, and we talk about an issue. We talk about something in science. We just kind of mentor and, and around with them every Saturday. And then we do we do health fairs in the community. So in Southeast, we'll have a health fair at a church where they'll come and do blood pressures. They'll come and do screenings like that, right? And so the idea is we're making these, these young men healthcare kind of surrogates for the community, but also we're exposing them to something different. Right, it, it really surprised to me in Southeast DC, they've never met a black doctor in Southeast.
0: Wow, no, yeah, they've never seen a black doctor. I mean, right, that, that is crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs>
1: so, so it's been good. It's it's really growing. Uh, we, we're we're um about seven years in now. Our first batch of kids are actually um, juniors in college, so they're doing great. Um, and it's just it's just it's just been a great experience. And they they've taught me just as much as I've taught them. And uh, so I've I've loved it and looking to grow it as, as we continue to uh, move further in the future.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I was always impressed by the fact that you were able to start that as a resident, and I'm glad to hear that it's still thriving now. But, yeah, to be able to yeah, give back it's, is, it's is great. special. Yeah,
1: uh, so it's been great. Yeah. you know.
0: So how can people who are listening, how can they help with this program?
1: Oh, great. So if you go onto our website, www.youngdoctorsdc.org, Again, www.youngdoctorsdc.org. Um, you go online and sign. this little area to volunteer, or you can reach out directly to me, um, and we can kind of go through that. But there's an email on, on the website that, that you can email. We will definitely reach back out to you and say, hey, we're always looking for volunteers, especially people that teach over the summertime, teach over the, uh, over the uh, uh, during the school year, because every Saturday, we bring them back, right? We'll have, we had, um, an and, uh, infectious disease doctor talk about COVID, right? We had um, somebody from somebody uh, talk about you know a uh, topic on uh, cardiology. We had them take me to the lab to see what it's like to do a stance. So, all these things, and every specialty is important. No matter if you're a teacher, you can come do a writing class with students, right? it's not just science. We're, try- we're trying to make these young men well rounded individuals and expose yeah. them to everything.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, you're exposing them to multiple fields, like you said, even though it might be a teacher speaking to them, they can learn about that. They can learn about cardiology. They can learn about nursing. They can learn about whatever it is, you know, but the main thing is exposure and you're putting them on the right track. So that's awesome.
1: Exactly.
0: You know, we're going through a time like the world has never seen before. You know, I'll speak for myself. So I thought that medicine would be a career that you'll start and you'll be able to make plenty of money and you don't have to worry about it. But now going through this has really changed my outlook on things, mm-hmm. um, you know, to be an entrepreneur, to kind of get into other things in medicine. So kind of what's your outlook on that?
1: Um, you know, I'm big into real estate personally, right? So I have several houses right now that I'm, and I just closed on another duplex that I Airbnb. Uh, and so for me, you know, that, that, that great book, rich dad, poor dad, right, in the cash flow quadrants, right? And so if you haven't read that book or listened to that book, get the audio book, read it, learn it. For the residents or med students out there, there's another book called, I think it's White Coat Investor that every person should read as well. Um, It talks about that, right? We're we're taught that, you know, work hard, make money, you'll be fine. And that's not the case because one, you're going to work yourself to death. Two, you need to understand how to spend money because we have been broke for so long now, when you come out of med school, and you come out of residency, this is your first time making six figures, right? This is your first time making some money that you're like, wow, well, I can buy whatever I want if I, was, if I was foolish with the money. So you have to know how to spend it, how to save it, and how to invest it. And, and if you don't know that early on, you can dig yourself in a hole. And by the time you're 50, you have nice cars, you have a nice house, but you don't have quality of life. And so you have to learn how to do that at an early age and early in your career So that when you're 50 and 60 and you have kids or kids in college, college funds pay for, you know, you can spend time at home and not have to work on call all night because you've invested early on. And that's that's what it's all about to me is utilizing my talents to do what I love, which is medicine, but also financially being responsible to have my to have ability to when I'm older to get out comfortably and be able to do what I like, which is to teach and do things like that later on. So. I again, I encourage everybody to read White Coat Investor and Rich Dad Poor Dad and then kind of expand from there. But those are two basic books that give you a rundown of what you can do to set yourself up to be successful later on.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. The Rich Dad Poor Dad was like an eye opener. Like, okay, Mm -hmm. I get it. I mean, it's, you know, it's a little twist on, I'm not going to ruin it for everybody, but it's a twist. It's not a a poor person and a rich person, so to speak, but it's more about the mindset. So, and then flow quadrant, you know, so you have employees, small businesses, you know, large businesses and investors, you know, Mm -hmm. employees and small businesses work for money and large businesses and investors, money work for them. So that's a huge difference. And when I finally understood that concept, I was like, okay, as well as the tax strategies. That's another thing. Right. <laughs> and like you mentioned, with the real estate and the investing.
1: It's funny that like when I came out, I bought some nice cars. Don't get me wrong, I spent some money doing some things. Like, and now, yeah. yeah, new money. But I, I, it's like I'm going back now, and like, you know, just in general, like I buy real estate if I want. If I want, let's say, this car instead of buying the car, I buy a house, and I run my house and I run the car through the house. Right? If I want A, I don't buy A. I buy something that's going to fund A so that it's not coming out of my pocket. So these are things that I wish I'd known just starting off because I made some mistakes, but I'm still early in my career, but I would have been even further along financially had I known some of these things earlier on.
0: Yeah. And just kind of a commercial break, you know, that's where we're headed with this show. In the next couple of episodes, we're going to really dive into um, how do you create a wealthy mindset? You know, how do you get into real estate. What is real estate? What's the difference between a single family home and a multifamily home? You know, I just learned this stuff within the last two years, which is almost embarrassing, right? (laughs) It's true though. (laughs) Yeah, we've been through all this school, but you still don't know some of the very basics about how to make your money work for you. Well, this is perfect, man. So, you know, on timeout with the sports doctor, this is your final timeout, right? So you already mentioned some books, so we won't go there. (laughs) Uh, But do you have a quote that you live by?
1: Oh man, honestly, um, the one thing I will say that my mom this is not really a quote, but it's just something that she always said to me—was, "Cry at night and pick yourself up in the morning." And so, what that always told me, like when I was playing sports, she to say, "I had a bad game." She's like, "Go home and cry tonight, but you better pick yourself up in the morning." Yeah. And I really apply that to every aspect of my life. That if something happens, it goes wrong. I have a bad day in the operating room. Um, I have, a, 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 you know, something goes wrong. Those things can't carry over in life because the ball are going downhill, you start having problems. And so these are things that I think, this is where the whole sports psychology works as well. Nothing is predetermined and pre, for me. I think that you control your destiny and, and God has given you the ability to, to control it, but you can't let things snowball out of control. You have to put a stop to it and not let it go on to the next day. Because if you did, then all of a sudden, oh, I'm this person that I'll, things always go wrong with me. That's not the case. So, so for me, you know, cry at night. Pick yourself up in the morning. Nothing carries over in life to the next day. You figure out a way to solve the problem, to fix the issue, so you can move forward and progress in the future.
0: Yeah, I like that. And then, what would you consider your greatest achievements are?
1: Ooh, man. Um, I would say honestly, just just building my practice. You know, we started just just we started with two. They did they they did two shoulder replacements before I got there, and they hired me and said, "Look, we're going to hire you to build a shoulder practice from scratch." We don't know how to do it and we don't know what it takes, but we're going to give you marketing and we're going to give you some funding to do it. And last year I did 150 shoulder replacements. And this year I was on track before COVID to do a little bit more than that. And so I've seen 20 to 30% growth every year for five years. And so I didn't know what I was doing. So for me, building something from scratch that I feel like is my own, was kind of my biggest achievement, I think, to this day.
0: Yeah, I can relate to that. I had a similar experience with the sports medicine program, so I can definitely relate. But yeah, that's awesome, man. And one day we'll get back on track. We just don't know which day, right? Yeah. Until
1: then. And it's funny enough, I've, I've decided that I'm not going to fight it. You know, I'm going to help any way I can. But I'm, look, sometimes sometimes uh, life gives you a blow, but you have to just make the best out of it. So I'm spending more time with my wife. You know, we're newlyweds. So instead of coming home angry, I'm just, let's just go for a walk. Let's go on go somewhere and, and relax. And so I think I'm just trying to use the time to, to, to be close to my family.
0: Perfect. So for a young doctor or for a young uh person that's looking at you that says, Man, Dr. Stevens has achieved a lot. Um, really before forty, right? You haven't turned forty yet, right? Not yet.
1: No, no, yeah. not yet.
0: Yeah. So, you know, you got this busy practice, you have real estate. What would you tell them, uh, what advice would you give them to be able to make it to where you are now?
1: It's baby steps. You know, I tell everybody two things I would say. One is baby steps, two is enjoy the process. I think that uh you know, people always want to, they look at the end result. They look at LeBron James. Now they look at, you know, a, a person that, the, the final result, but they don't see what they had to do to get there. And it's baby steps to get there. Right. What I have now, which is, you know, I, some, but it's not a lot. It took, I bought one house, right. Then I bought another house. I had surgery that went good. I had that went bad, but I learned every step of the way. All right. And so it's baby steps and each step can teach you to get to the next step. Um, and so that's what I, that's the advice that I give them. Don't rush it and enjoy the process. It, it'll come. But if you constantly look at, well, I can't wait till I get here. I can't wait till I'm done med school. I can't wait till I'm done residency. You're never going to enjoy the time now. So those are two things that I, I would tell uh, people coming up now. Because you'll have it and you'll get to where I am. But if you follow the baby steps and you enjoy the process, when you get there, you'll be a lot happier person.
0: Absolutely. Well, man, I appreciate you coming on. I, re- I really appreciate you sharing your life story and all the pearls of wisdom. Um, and, you know, anything I can do for you, of course, I will.
1: Oh, it's been great. I, I appreciate you having me on it again. I, I'm always thankful how you shielded me in training because you guys just don't know how brutal orthopedic surgery can be in the residency <laughs> training. So. Derek kept me out of trouble. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of holes you can fall in. Derek, oh, don't don't go that way. You know, don't say that. Be quiet. Yeah. Don't, keep mouth out. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> I appreciate that, man. I appreciate you and everything you're doing for for the community and, and this this podcast is excellent. So, I really I'm I'm, I'm just appreciative to be on and and keep growing.
0: All right, man. Well, I, I appreciate it. Have a good one. All right. Thank you for continuing to support this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a five-star review. And if you haven't done so, subscribe so you continue to get the updated episodes. Until later, peace.